0: You're listening to the Domecast, where news and observer journalists take a look back and forward in North Carolina politics.
1: Hello from the North Carolina General Assembly. It is Tuesday, May 29th, and it's already a busy week in North Carolina politics. I'm Lauren Horsch with the NC Insider, and I'm joined today with uh, Colin Campbell, also of the NC Insider, Will Doran and Andy Spey of the News and Observer. And well, we'll just jump right into it. Uh, this week has really started the budget process. So for the past two weeks, really, that's all we've been focused on. So, Colin, can you kind of give us the rundown? What are we looking at with this budget here, and what's been going on?
2: Yeah. So the uh, budget rolled out uh, Monday night. Uh, if you wanted to spend your Memorial Day evening instead of cooking out in the rain, you could be uh, reading the budget bill. That was exactly <laughs> how uh, we spent our uh, Memorial Day evenings, uh, going through all seven hundred or so pages of uh, excitement and uh, seeing what was hiding in there. Uh, we've seen. Trickle out of uh, of information about this budget. You know, one of the things that I think has been common the last couple budget cycles is that uh, Republican leaders like to give you the good stuff everyone can agree on in the budget before they actually let you see the entire budget and the things that people may disagree about, uh, which results for them in better press coverage. So they like to do it that way, um, and that was the case with this one. We heard about the employee raises last week. Um, I think that was the. The big surprise to me in the budget was that not only was there the standard kind of 2% raise for all state employees, but there was the uh, provision that wasn't even in uh, Governor Cooper's budget to uh, increase uh, some of the lowest paid employees to uh, the uh, what's considered a living wage of roughly $15 an hour uh, put out over an entire year, which I think takes you to about $30,000 a year. Uh, whereas previously, a lot of state employees at the low end of the ladder were making something like uh, $24,000, 25000 Um, So that's going to be a big boost to uh, folks in that range. So that was uh, a big thing. I guess the process aspect of it has been the big bone of contention so far, I think in part because there's not that much in the budget to argue about. There are a few things. But uh, the big issue is that the process this year has been different. Um, Mm -hmm. Typically what you get is uh, the Senate would come out with its budget. They would run it through committees. People would file amendments. They'd vote on amendments. uh, The final product would then go over to the House. The House would usually say they don't really like the Senate budget, so they're going to make their own budget. They do that. They run that through committees. They file amendments. And then after that, uh, the House and Senate leaders uh, and budget writers get together uh, and try to work out the differences between the House and Senate versions of the budget. This year, there is no House or Senate-specific version. It's all in a conference report. Uh, So that means that before anyone actually got to see it, the process in which uh, House and Senate leaders go behind closed doors and figure out what their disagreements are and negotiate and work out their differences. Uh, That's already happened. And now we're at a point where the budget goes through, one, a whole lot faster, but without any any amendments. And that's the uh, big issue for uh, Democrats and and Governor Roy Cooper is that this process hasn't been like this in anyone's memory. I think someone went back, uh, Jerry Cohen may have gone back two or three decades and not seen anything uh, done in this particular manner. Um, And so it means, yeah, this is pretty much a done deal. The Republicans probably have the votes. Uh, And so the uh, debate that we're going to hear the next couple days is uh, kind of a formality because no one can really change anything in the budget, even if they were able to get consensus that some tweaks needed to be made.
1: Yeah. And Will and Andy, you wrote about the unusual nature of this year's budget Can kind of give us a rundown on that. I know Colin's already given some of it, but you two looked into it specifically. So, what what do we got going?
0: Yeah, we got. Uh, like Colin mentioned, it's been you know decades really since this happened, and uh, like like you alluded to, Colin, I reached out to to Jerry Cohen, a you know long time legislative staffer, and just asked him if he could just remember if something like this had happened before. And he went a little above and beyond in the you know taking on some homework for himself. And he's very you know, good about that. <laughs> went and you know pulled the records uh, dating back to 1985. And said that, you know, this kind of process hadn't happened at all since at least 1985. That was as far as he went back, which was, you know uh, I, I'm not sure if any of us in this room were born in 1985. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> uh, so, you know, that's, uh, certainly, uh, you know, a, a long time, at least for us, maybe, you know, some of older, older legislators can remember a time, uh, before then when this might've happened, but if they can, we haven't heard from anyone of, you know, when something like this had happened in the past. So, uh, it's really, you know, out outside of, uh, any, you know, sort of collective memory in, in politics or the media. Um, and yeah, then it's just a really uncommon process and it has led to not only, you know, complaints from the Democrats about being shut out of the process and also complaints from special interest groups and lobbyists about, you know, just hearing rumors and things from the grapevine and not really being able to, uh, you know, try and get things changed or corrected in their view after it became public. Um, but also some possible mistakes. Um, Andy wrote a story about um, how there's no funding for the uh, the suicide hotline, and I'll, I'll let
3: him talk a little bit more about that. Uh, that's right. NC Child, uh, their deputy director, um, his name's Dan. Oh, I forget his last name. It's not in front of me right now. Rob Thomas. Rob Thomas. That's what my next guess was. Uh, Rob Thomas. <laughs> uh, also C- known China. as Dan, but not... Really. <laughs> uh, he pointed out, uh, I think over the weekend or the yesterday on Twitter, that uh, there's no funding for uh, the suicide uh, prevention, they call it a lifeline, and uh, it's part of a national program, but uh, in recent years has been funded by a block grant from DHHS, the Department of Health and Human Services, this year, that block grant isn't available, and so the group is – the call center is relying on uh, state funding to keep going, and they haven't seen that in the budget. Maybe it's there. <laughs> it could end up being there uh, because we've reached out to the Republican leaders and asked, like, is this – are they are you using different terminology to fund this program, you know uh, – is it hidden somewhere in there? It's a 700 page document. It could be in there, but so far we haven't heard anything back. Um, but well, as you alluded to, not, n- there were mistakes, not only on the part of Republicans who are, uh, you know, drafting this bill, but also onlookers like, uh, Sydney batch, a candidate for, for North Carolina house district. Uh, I think it's 37. Um, she's a Democrat. She's up against John Adcock and, uh, Last week, she put out a press release saying Republicans had used the quote nuclear option to pass the budget, when in fact, as we sit here recording, it still has not been voted on. So people are jumping the gun. It's obviously evoking lots of emotions um, from people involved, you know, participants and observers, and people who are depending on money.
2: Yeah, that's one thing that was striking about your your fact check on that was I feel like. The process around here is so opaque that if you're not in this building and you don't understand it, it's easy to get the details wrong and misunderstand what's actually going on. And, of course, this year we've got all these political newcomers coming in and running for office. And so I think this is probably not the last time you're going to see a mistake like that, where someone just completely gets it wrong as to what's actually going down over here.
1: Well, and I think even those of us who are in this building every day – you know, when we heard it was a conference report, we had to kind of sit down and figure out, okay, so what does this actually mean for the budget? I mean, when can the Senate vote? When can the House vote? How many days does the House have to vote on this, et cetera, et cetera? So it was confusing even for some of us. Yeah, I was in having here.
2: conversations on Twitter late last night with various legislators as we were all trying to figure out whether the committee meetings that were being held today, Tuesday, uh, were going to include votes. And I think the end result was that the House voted, but the Senate did yes, not. Yes, so the House, rolls. the
1: House did have to vote. Um, in both the finance and appropriations joint committee meetings today um, and the budget bill was recalled out of the pensions committee um and just, that doesn't really mean much it just didn't have to go through that committee i guess um and since we're still talking a little bit about the process you know how have you know the republican leadership here at the general assembly explained you know why they picked this you know process to go through
3: I can answer some of that. Uh, I spoke with one uh, Republican. He's, I'd say, relatively high up, although I'm not sure how um, how involved he is in the the writing process. Is Chuck McGrady from out in the western part of the state. Yeah, one
2: of the House budget co-chairs.
3: Um, he's a pretty transparent dude. Uh, he writes I think – does he still write his own blog? He yeah. does. He, he posted, posted writes... one over the weekend, actually. Right. Yeah. And he described it uh, – <laughs> I'm going to be paraphrasing here, but he said it is efficient, but also lacking in transparency to some degree. Um, But that seems to be the line they're taking is, you know, the sooner we can get this passed, the sooner we can get out of here. And for those who don't know, they're not allowed to campaign campaign while they're here right
2: yeah, they can campaign there's certain types of donations they can't get from like lobbyists and packs and stuff i think uh, i don't don't want to misspeak about the specifics but your your ability to fundraise and campaign effectively is somewhat limited by being here uh plus you even if you wanted to campaign in your district you'd have to drive you know several hours out and then come back for tomorrow's vote so they, they do want to get out of here fast for that reason
3: that's the I, I don't know if anyone else has heard arguments but the the word efficient and then you know the eye on you know the campaign season is certainly yeah, what I and i
2: think mcgrady did tell you as well that you know he did there's a desire to avoid contentious votes and i think ultimately what that comes down to and i got into that a little bit in my column this week uh, was that Democrats, if they were allowed to run amendments, they're going to try to force votes on different elements of Governor Roy Cooper's budget proposal, uh, most notably his desire to eliminate the scheduled corporate income tax cut um, and to use that money for schools, teacher salaries, various other uh, priorities that he had in his budget. So they were probably going to run amendments on that front. Uh, which would then force votes on those issues. And then if you get people to vote on it, then you can have campaign mailers ready to go that say Republicans uh, supported tax breaks for uh, big corporations over our teachers or, or some rhetoric to that effect. And Republicans are trying to avoid that. Um, and they're also in trying to get Democrats on record to see how many of them will cross party lines and support this budget with things like a living wage in it and some other priorities that the, the Democrats have always had.
3: Or, as one, uh, I think Shelley Carver put it, what you just said was, Democrats want to be able, they're they're upset that they won't be able to uh, make talking points, get their talking mm-hmm. points across.
1: And Shelley Carver is uh, the spokeswoman for uh, President Pro Tem uh, Senator Phil Berger. I almost said House Speaker Phil Berger. Not the same dude. Um, but
2: <laughs> Yeah, and ultimately you know, in the past cycles where there have been amendments, Ultimately, Democrats can run the amendments. They don't have the votes to pass any of them. So the, the final product of the budget is still pretty much what the House and Senate leadership agreed to. Um, and that's just the nature of having a veto-proof uh, supermajority.
1: And so how are the Democrats in the General Assembly reacting all of the, to all of this?
0: Um, well, we saw uh, Representative Mickey Michaud today uh, compare the, the process to uh, to North Korea and
2: call it uh, a rape, uh, which those, I think a lot of people words. felt
0: were quite overboard.
2: Um, yeah, it's kind of. I, I feel like rape is kind of like bringing up the Nazis. If it's not an actual rape or not actual Nazis, probably not the metaphor you want. No. No. Um, I I don't know on the North Korea issue, you know, there's all sorts
0: of, you know, diplomatic forays with them now. So maybe uh, we shouldn't talk too bad about North Korea when we're
2: trying to be their friends. But yeah, (laughs) Kim Jong-un, if you're listening, we we support your efforts towards peace.
0: Okay. Um. (laughs) Back on track, (laughs) folks. But no, I mean, obviously Democrats are upset, but they realize that there's really nothing they can do about it. um, And so you know, yeah, I think they are going to harp a lot on the process, um, you know, as well as, you know, what's, what's not in there that they want to be in there.
1: But I, I almost have to wonder, do the voters care about the process? I mean, are they just going to care about the end result of the budget or do they care about, you know, every single vote that this budget has to go through?
0: I think for a lot of voters who might be kind of on the fence or who might be, you know, Democratic leaning, but maybe not going to come out and vote in a midterm election like this when there's no marquee, you know, statewide race, something like, oh, you know, there's no transparency and, you know, the Republicans are just ramrodding things through that maybe Democrats see that kind of uh, talking point as convincing those people to actually show up to the polls when they might not otherwise in a kind of low turnout election like a midterm. Uh, But I'm not a political strategist. Mm -hmm.
3: It's been interesting to me to see how many people know that um, or don't know that Republicans hold a supermajority and that essentially, you know, their their agenda, their budget is going to get passed no matter what. No matter w- what process is used, it's just a matter of how many tweaks are, are going to be allowed. In this case, uh, it remains to be seen, you know, whether or not, you know, they push this budget through will they then run other bills after this to correct some of their mistakes or to address things that they meant to address in the budget, but now they can't amend as part of it? Yeah,
2: the technical corrections bill is usually the last bill of any session to sort of fix any mistakes. Um, And it might be longer this time around because there's not an opportunity to go back in now that the budget is out uh, and change things that someone pointed out. Hey, did you really mean to do that?
1: Mm -hmm. Well, I think enough about the process. Let's get into the the nitty-gritty. Let's do a quick roundtable of some of the things that you saw, y'all saw in the budget that you thought were interesting, and then maybe a couple things that were not in the budget that you also found interesting. Colin, you want to kick it off?
2: Yeah, so uh, I guess we'll start with the things that were uh, in the budget and interesting. Um, wrote about a couple uh, little provisions that are uh, in there. Um, On the uh, education front, there's uh, some interesting stuff about uh, school construction um, for rural and poor communities. Uh, They want to up the uh, percentage over a period of several years that uh, amount of the lottery funds that go towards school construction uh, projects uh, targeted towards rural counties. So there's going to be... Tens of millions of dollars uh, headed that direction, um, given out by Superintendent of Public Instruction Mark Johnson, who will decide based on this criteria the legislature has come up with, which school districts are the most needy in terms of building new schools, renovating schools, that sort of thing. And it's been sort of a perennial issue. Uh, so I was interested to see that. Um, and that seems to be in, in lieu of the uh, multi-billion dollar school construction bond proposal that came out of the School Boards Association and County Commissioners Association last year. But they were still seeking a vote on, um, and uh, State Senator Harry Brown uh, said that he felt like this idea with lottery funds is more effective because uh, you're going to have money over a longer period of time. You're not going to have to borrow it and pay it back. Uh, you can just straight up spend the money and not have to pay interest. Uh, so that seems to be the tactic they're going with there, and that was uh, sort of interesting to see there.
0: On the uh, school construction front, there's also an interesting thing that um, Jim Morrill, our, our colleague from the Charlotte Observer, noted that. Uh, That's uh, really looks just like a a bill that got inserted into here that would allow uh, cities to uh, use their property tax revenues to pay for school construction, uh, which appears to be kind of in response to something that some Charlotte suburbs had wanted. They had wanted to start their own. Uh, City run charter schools.
2: Yeah, apparently down there, the issue is that people are mad that um, the way the schools are districted, pub- the public schools in Mecklenburg County, some of these suburbs have to travel some distance from their towns to send their kids to school. So the towns were hoping, hey, if we start our own charter schools, we can give the kids an option that leaves us in Matthews or Mint Hill or wherever it is. Um, so that bill, I think, is going through as a separate bill um, and sort of unclear if it's going to pass. But then you've got this provision in the budget that says, municipalities can raise money, spend money on uh, schools, which is something that's never been done before. Yeah, and that's that's something that's been kind of debated uh, uh,
0: where we are here in Wake County as well with possibly breaking up Wake County schools and going into smaller kind of city-run districts. And, uh, you know, w- one one concern with that always is that, well, you know, the, the wealthy cities will be well off, but, you know, the the poorer areas will be left behind. And, you know, there's a lot of people don't agree with that sort of uh Way of funding the school system, so I think that'll be that'll be interesting. I, I don't know if that'll be controversial enough to to sink the budget. I highly doubt it, but that is uh, yeah. <laughs> definitely something. I that don't I think, think a think lot's we'll going to sink this budget. No, yeah, I don't yeah. think so. Um, uh, some other interesting stuff in the budget that um, that uh, I wrote about today was. Uh, some of the, the pork that's in there, which is always you know fun stuff to look at. And there, I'm sure there's a ton in there. Uh, what I specifically looked into was uh, the money that's going to religious groups, because that's always something that gets people excited, either pro or con, uh, seeing the money that's going to religious groups. And there's a couple million dollars in there uh, in the form of grants and other sorts of funding that are going to, to Christian-based groups. You've got about million going to uh, a handful of pro-life pregnancy clinics that try and uh, convince women not to get abortions and help them, you know, with other pregnancy planning issues. You've got a quarter of a million dollars going to a hunting club that for for young boys that also hosts Bible studies and summer camps. It's like a Christian-themed hunting club, and then you've got some smaller uh, grants, you know, five thousand here, twenty thousand there, going to groups that do things like prison ministry or school outreach and mentoring of young kids, things like that. Um, and it's always, you know, funny seeing kind of what what areas of the state those are going to. Uh, lots going to Mount Olive, lots going down to Robeson County, you know, these little mm-hmm. little pockets where you see, oh, okay, well, there, there was a legislator who was involved in writing the budget. Yeah, I yeah. think if
1: you dive down really deep, you'll see a lot of uh, some earmarked spending for Districts, you know, that are, you know, represented represented by some of the higher uh, ups here.
2: House Speaker Tim Moore's uh, hometown gets some money for its baseball stadium mm-hmm. for the league.
1: Yes, because yep. they're uh, hosting the tournament this yeah. year. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and uh,
0: Harry Brown, the uh, the Senate Majority Leader, uh, his home county of Onslow is getting a hundred thousand dollars to build a new YMCA. So, uh, yeah, all all sorts of little you know fun perks like that when you're when your hometown guy is a powerful legislator.
1: Andy, what are you seeing in the state budget?
3: I'm sorry. I'm busy tweeting a photo of you guys. <laughs> we'll forgive you.
1: Um, anyone else got anything else to add on what, they, what they're what they seeing?
0: Well, I, I think we've uh, covered a lot in our articles that I, I assume uh, hardcore listeners of Domecast have already read uh, you know, on, on teacher pay, on state employee raises, things like that, um, but that you know, that's all out there, that big stuff, uh, you know, obviously blanket 6.5 percent, uh, you know, average raise for the teachers, some big performance based bonuses for both teachers and principals. Um, we uh, we saw some on uh, some school funding or school safety funding um, in the budget, not nearly as much as Democrats had called for. And a lot of what the Democrats had been asking for was money for uh, just creating new jobs or filling empty jobs in the schools for things like Counselors and psychiatrists and social workers and nurses that they think would kind of, you know, get at the root causes of, you know, bullying and school violence and things like that. And uh, the, you know, Democratic plans were a little bit bigger and more expensive than uh, what the Republican leadership ultimately wanted to go for. And uh, Speaker Tim Moore had said previously that, you know, they were going to do this based on data, not based on emotion. And uh, clearly they felt that the data. Uh, showed we we didn't need all of the money that the Democrats had wanted on the school safety stuff.
1: Okay, and you know one thing we were told early on in this budget process, and you know I also think I read this in uh Representative McGrady's uh, blog over the weekend, um, but there wasn't going to be a lot of policy in this year's budget like there has been in other years. But I think if you spent some of your night and some of your day today reading all seven hundred and some pages, you found that there was. Quite a bit of policy stuck in there. So, what 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 kind of policies and legislation were we seeing put into the budget this year? Yes,
2: yeah, so I guess there's the the big one is the all the Gen X uh, related funding and uh, policy provisions that were a separate bill uh, agreed to by the House and Senate a few weeks ago and was announced. That all showed up in the budget. Um, other stuff. I think we mentioned the uh, the charter school policy. The uh, tax code changes that um, were run as a separate bill—that's all been thrown in there. Although that stuff is fairly uh, minor. Um, any others? The
0: school funding stuff that we already talked about uh, previously—you know, obviously that's pretty complicated policy stuff that's, uh, you know, getting thrown in here. Um, I'm sure there's a lot more. Uh, you know, there, there's a lot on you know just how to spend certain you know new allocations of money that are coming up that, you know, have new rules attached to it that, you know, like we said, there's seven, 800 pages in here that there's a lot of, a lot of stuff that no one has really had time to, you know, dive into yet. So
2: give all your favorite reporters a shout. If you, uh, if you see anything, <laughs> that
1: yeah,
0: <we're> missing.
2: <laughs> I'm sure there's stuff I missed in my, uh, 11 PM scan through of the budget last night.
1: You should have seen the color coding Google doc we had up. It was a thing of dreams. <laughs> Well, I think that about wraps it up for this main part of the podcast. I think we'll take a break and bring back a headliner of the week.
2: Headliner
0: of the week. Headliner 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 of the week. Who's hot?
1: Welcome back to Domecast. We're going to get right into Headliner of the Week. And we're a little bit behind because we're recording on a Tuesday instead of a Friday. But I think that gives us plenty more options for good headliners. So, Colin, who's your headliner this week?
2: I'm going with unicorn trains. That's the idea of uh, light rail connecting Durham and Chapel Hill, something that's been talked Ouch. about for a while. Ouch! Does it seem like it's going to get here? It's kind of they're chasing it, they're trying, it's, but they keep getting knocked down by... Honestly, the people here in the legislature. Uh, the issue with that in the budget bill is a provision that prevents state money from being set aside to match federal dollars before the federal dollars are allocated. Um, so it's sort of a processy thing of um, how does the money come out. But the big concern is that it might kill the light rail project. Because uh, the federal government, according to a couple of the senators, requires you to set aside the state money. Uh, this provision is in there because, according to uh, Senate budget writer Harry Brown, Transportation uh, revenues are going down a bit, uh, and they're concerned about having money set aside that can't be spent yet uh, when it could potentially be used for other projects. So that's been put in there. There's a lot of concern that that's going to uh, harm the funding model for the Durham-Chapel Hill uh, light rail project and uh, make that uh, that train even more of a unicorn that uh, may be further off into the future than we were planning out in, in that side of the Well, triangle. how many
1: times has the state budget almost killed this train? I mean, when I was working in Durham, I feel like... Two or three years ago, I was writing about a different budget provision that was going to kill it. Well, yeah,
2: it's, it's one of those perennial things. So the the sort of savvy uh, budget readers who want to find the good stuff when they first open up the budget bill. Light rail is one of the t- terms you use on the budget bill to see, well, what are we doing to light rail <laughs> this year?
3: Can I go next?
1: Yes, Andy, you can.
3: <laughs> speaking of
2: things the in front of you.
3: Speaking of things that aren't happening, I think my headline of the week is gonna be IKEA not <laughs> coming to Carrie. Not politics related uh, directly, but it's been interesting to see the reaction to um, you know, IKEA as one colleague of ours put it, sending out wedding invitations and then canceling the wedding. Um, they referred to Carrie as quote, too suburban. Um, and now they're not coming to uh, Raleigh's biggest suburb. That is my headliner of the week.
1: I have a feeling not a lot of people would argue with the too suburban no. to the description of Cary. The, the people in <laughs>
2: Cary probably would argue with you. I don't, know, I don't know if that's fighting words for them or not. But uh, and this is after they even made the concessions that Ikea could have not beige colors in its design. And I know right. that was a really big deal.
1: Right. Really big deal.
3: And I should say I am uh, – This is, I submit this as my headline of the week in honor of one Craig Jarvis, former uh, North Carolina politics editor, uh, reporter for the News and Observer, who scooped everyone, uh, including uh, TBJ and others. And that was not lost on those of us in the newsroom that – sat near him yeah. anyway <laughs> you, well, thank you craig
1: loyal listeners will remember yeah. craig he was a dumb cast regular and now he's covering real estate and all sorts of things for the news and observer uh so we will th- put ikea no longer coming to carry in the hat for headliner of the week well go right ahead i just gotta
0: go with teachers um i think anyway you slice the budget uh they were big winners this year around uh we're hearing about an average 6.5% raise for them. Principals are getting even bigger raises. Um, Democrats were arguing that they wanted to give teachers even bigger raises, but it's always nice when you have two sides fighting over, you know, who's going to give you the bigger raise, not is someone going to give you a raise or not a raise at all. Um, and I think that uh, the obviously the big protest in March they had here recently probably played a role in that. You know, it's... It's obviously an election year. You show up and show lawmakers that, hey, we can get ten, fifteen thousand 15,000 people mobilized to march on the state capitol on a Wednesday, and, you know, we're going to remember to vote. That That was the only chant I heard during that whole march was, remember, remember, we vote in November. That was, you know, it was very, it was a very transactional yes. kind of thing. <laughs> hey, give us a raise or else we're going to vote against you. And they're getting a raise. So... Teachers are the big winners, I think, in this year's budget.
1: Okay, well, we got IKEA, teachers, and unicorn trains all going up for headliner of the week. And I guess this might be a little bit of pandering again, but I got to go with, you know, Durham Orange Light Rail uh, just because... This is the
2: trick when you're hosting is mention Durham in your headliner.
1: (laughs) 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 I mean, I'm I'm a sucker for Durham. (laughs) Guys, I just am. No, but I mean, I think it's very important. This has been a project long coming in Durham and Orange, and a lot of residents really want it, but a lot of residents also really don't want it. So it's a sticking point, and I've had to cover this years over, so... I also heard
2: someone today even bring up the possibility that uh, killing light rail might kill our chances for Amazon or Apple, which I don't know if there's any truth to that or not. I don't think we actually know what those companies are thinking. But uh, anytime someone brings up the the big fish, um, they can try to elevate their argument, I guess.
1: We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, that's all for Dumbcast this week. Be sure to check out thenewsandobserver.com for new stories as the budget progresses through uh, the General Assembly. Should be done by Friday. Fingers crossed. Um, but for Colin Campbell, Will Doran, Andy Spay, I'm Lauren Horsch. Have a good day.